currently there are 23 million people in Taiwan. And uh, ever since the Chinese New Year, I, uh, we, we call it the first invasion from China. At that time, each confirmed case is on a daily basis. It's, it's like, like single digits, like five, three, four. And then up until I would say like Super Tuesday in the US, and uh, at that time, we think they we did a pretty good job in, in containing the virus. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake E. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Great. So today on the Neurosurgery Podcast, you're very lucky to be joined by an international guest. This is... um, one of our episodes in this series on coronavirus. And today we're going to be joined by Herb Chang. Herb is a neurosurgeon, a spine surgeon in Taipei, Taiwan. Herb was with us in Miami for a year in uh, 2015 and 2016, and, and we got to know him very well. Herb, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, how are you, everyone? Uh, my name is Herb Chen. It is my honor to, uh, to be on the, on the, on the show. Happy, uh, I'm, I'm really happy for having me. Great, great. Thanks for joining us. Now, you know, we want to, we could talk to you about anything, but we really wanted to focus on the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And uh, my my mother is Taiwanese, and I remember following very closely in January about the measures the Taiwanese government took early on, I guess, because you're so close to China. Maybe you could get our audience up to speed on what was going on early on at the end of December and all through January in, in Taiwan. Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I, I, I would say that uh, despite that Taiwan is the closest country to China, uh, either in terms of the ge- geological proximity or, or ecological cultural activities, we got really, really lucky that it's been basically an island, so it autom- automatically forms a barrier between us. And um, I would say that ever since, I would say like Chinese New Year will be the, the first uh, outbreak in Wuhan and China, and things got really, really bad, just like what you've seen in Italy or Europe. And you can see from the videos at the time that the bodies are like pulling all over the hospital and people are just coming in the hospital, but they couldn't, they couldn't get any help. And uh, from then on, the, uh, our, our government, the, the current administration, uh, put a very, very early restriction on the export of masks and make sure that everyone has masks in Taiwan. And um, also they're expanding the production lines of the surgical masks when, when you're going to, uh, uh, engaged in, in indoor activities like entering a building or taking a bus or subway, you're mandated to wear a surgical mask. And uh, I would say this is the most important thing from the early stage of this uh, of this episode. Herb, can you tell us? Uh, can you tell us real quick how did they get masks to people? Were they handed out in public? I mean, how did they actually do that? Yeah, you know, uh, in Asia, the the air quality is not so good. So, like for most people, they originally have the habit of wearing a mask on the street. So it it is is not a it's not a it's a big change for us culturally, but from 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 then on, we are able to buy masks at first in the convenience store, and then we shifted the uh, the, the purchase location to like 7-Eleven or convenience stores, 
And for now, you can order masks online, and everything is restricted by the by the government. Everything is, is controlled by the government. But but those are regular surgical masks, right? Or are they N95 masks? Were they special, or are they like the typical like? Oh, no, they're, they're just a, so, typical surgical masks, not N95. So do you think that was protective? I mean, a lot of people have argued that those masks don't really do much to. Uh, I guess it could protect you from spreading it, right? But not from getting yeah. it. That's what they say here in the U.S. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah, I, I would say so. But you know, if, if you have like cough or you're, you're sneezing, you have the surgical masks on. They automatically put you in a barrier. And also, the government encourages people to wash hands frequently and also social distancing. That's for sure. But you know, uh, the the Taiwan is very packed. The packed with people. The population dense density is very high. Uh, but you can still feel that the people are getting like farther and farther from from each other. And did they shut down flights early? I thought there was a lot of very early intervention about stopping travel from Wuhan, China, and whatnot right at the beginning. Uh, I think it's not a totally shut down. They decreased the flights between uh, Taiwan and China, and especially the, those come from from Wuhan or what are, are really banned. They only really banned the, the flight from Wuhan, but but not really closely the flight from like Shanghai or, or Chengdu or other cities. But everyone coming from the China uh, should, be, should be checked immediately after they, they leave the, the airport. And Herb, can you, can you catch us up to speed on the statistics? Because I'm sure people in the U.S. especially don't follow Taiwan. Where are you, what's the population of Taiwan? What's the current uh, COVID-19 burden and number of deaths and all that so far? Yeah, uh, currently there are 23 million people in Taiwan. And... Uh, Ever since the Chinese New Year, I, uh, we, we called it the first invasion from China. At that time, each confirmed basis on a daily basis is, is like, like single digits, like five, three, four. And then up until I would say like Super Tuesday in the US. And uh, at that time, we think they we did a pretty good job in, in containing the virus. But ever since the, uh, the, the Super Tuesday or a little past that, uh, because the, the Europe cities are getting worse and US, U.S. is getting worse, so you know there's a lot of students or families uh, in in U.S. or Europe is or fleeing back to Taiwan, and then ever since that we call it the, the second wave of invasion of the virus. So uh, currently, I would say like that yesterday we have 21 confirmed cases, and the day before that it was like 19. So the currently we're increasing like like 10 to 20 cases every day. Wow, and how many deaths? Uh, currently, there are only two deaths from from day one. Okay. Yeah. So, Herb, that's a that's a pretty good picture of uh, a life in the cities and 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 among the society. But if you could, let's turn now to look within the hospital where you're working. Um, can you describe for us, kind of going back to day zero and bringing it up to now, how has this all unfolded within the hospital, within your practice and your department? How how did things change? Yeah, uh, you know, because we're doing neurosurgery, it's not like first line, like, you know, directly facing those people who are infected. So overall, I would say during my personal practice, it, it doesn't change that much. But, you know, for the, for the hospital, you can feel the inc incremental change every day since, since the, uh, the outbreak in Wuhan. Uh, at first, we we're just taking precautions. We were encouraged to wear masks. Uh, of course, you, you cannot go to the, to the hospital without a mask. Uh, nowadays, so um, from then on, the the measures to uh, prevent this virus has got inc increasingly more. And currently, 
uh, just like you say, we actually divided our hospital into two sections, and every department needs to cut in half just so you know you can reduce the the risk of transmission among each other. Uh, we're not supposed to meet the other half of the department uh, during during our workday. And uh, if you're going to the different sections of the hospital, you need to wear a N95 masks. And uh, of course, the hospital encouraged us to decrease the uh, non-essential or like elective surgeries if that's not really urgent. But you know, for us, uh, our, our our hospital mandated that uh, craniotomies, ICH, cranials, most cranial cases are are not in the restrictions. So, right. How yeah. how have you defined? That's a big question we we return to often. How have you defined the difference between an urgent or an elective case? Uh, maybe you know, obviously these cranial emergencies th yeah. they're beyond the question. But maybe in in your spine practice, where are you folks drawing the line? And and is it surgeon directed, or are there any kind of guidelines from either the government or from your administration there within the hospital? Uh, yeah, luckily there are no clear-cut guidelines to define the spinal cases which are urgent or non-urgent. But I would say most of our spinal cases are, you know, the people are feeling very painful and they come to our clinic or even emergency room just to cure their, their back, severe back pain. And in that case, we're able to treat those patients, luckily. Herb, I, I had a faculty meeting this evening, and there was a lot of interesting discussion about the work coming out of China uh, relevant to neurosurgeons. And uh, Jacques Morcos was talking about this, that uh, there's been a lot of issues in China with endoscopy. And I don't mean spinal endoscopy underwater, but endoscopy in the sinuses and extremely high infection rates. Several doctors, I believe, died in China from this. And so they're asking that those surgeries not be done like a like endoscopic pituitary. And then also Jock Morcos was talking about even drilling into the mastoid air cells could be an issue. And these people need to be COVID negative. Have you heard anything about that in Asia? Uh, yeah, it, in my knowledge, I, I would say the first confirmed medical cases in China is, is a neurosurgeon who was doing a, a transnasal endoscopic surgery. And uh, Luckily, in our hospital, we don't we don't we don't need to put any restrictions on those people. And especially when we're doing like cranial cases to to drill these, as you say, mastoid processes or 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 bones structures like that. Uh, so far, in our local community of the neurosurgeons, we don't we don't too, have too much concern about about that. Well, Herb, has anyone in your department been personally affected? Um, I know you said that you're splitting teams to to try to limit any kind of spread or exposure within the team. Um, but has has either any faculty member or any support staff been exposed to a positive patient as of now? Uh, we have uh, one nurse practitioner who have uh, currently upper respiratory symptoms, but is uh, been test. She has been tested two times, and there was negative. Uh, besides that, there are no non infected cases. Excellent. And how, how are you handling patients on your service that are either suspected or um, if it's occurred in a, a positive case? Oh, we, we, put, it, we put, put them uh, into isolation, isolated wards with negative pressures. So, so just making sure that it's, it, there's not spreading. Herb, I feel like we in the U.S. are very lucky because, A, we have a large country so we can see what happens in certain parts and adapt yeah. to that, like Seattle and San Francisco, New York. But we also have the lessons from Italy, China in the early, early phase. And I might suggest South Korea and Taiwan for the second wave, right? Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
two things. One is the, the, the attitudes and the uh, stamina of people. In other words, second wave, it's like, well, we got to keep going on this. we got to start over again. And then the economic impact of that, of a second wave. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm an expert on the economic condition uh, of the, the global condition. But I would say that here in Taiwan, people are really, really, you know, gathering together, like where hearts are on the same boat together to, to like resist or contain the second wave of invasion of the virus. Uh, everyone is you know, reminding each other to put their masks on, to wash their hands more often, and try not to take the public transportation as often as the, we used to be. And uh, I would say that that has been done a pretty good job. And in this internet in society, you know, Taiwan is a very, basically an IT country, right? IT island, and everyone is staying on the internet. So, like, if there are some people, of course, there are some 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 people coming from the US or the Europe that uh, they cannot just you know stay home for their for their two weeks quarantine and the uh, Taiwanese CDC will just publish their names and the internet is gonna search you and find you and you know everything is done by the local community here. I think that's that's pretty good. And as for the uh, the economy, uh, you know overall like the whole globe is feeling that economy is going down but uh, for now, I, I don't think there's not much we ordinary people we can do. We just try hard to remind each other to prevent this virus from spreading. Looking back on this process over the past two months um, since this all started and now entering the second wave, uh, can you think of anything you wish had been done differently? Um, any lessons you can offer us as, as we kind of go through this process behind you here in the States? Uh, yeah, I would say... Uh, social distancing is the most important thing. Uh, just try not to go outside, stay home. Uh, just go go out of the door only for essential, well, taking for essential business, just like you know, medical or, or essential stuff for, of your life. And um, uh, just cut down any non-necessary non activities. Uh, do everything at home. I would say that's the most important thing. And of course, when you go outside, the masks, uh, are, are are really important. Yeah. Herb, you'll be very disappointed to know the sandbar, which I know you used to love coming to. Oh, yeah. yeah, Miami. yeah. I mean, they shut, yeah. <laughs> right. They yeah. shut it down this weekend. Uh, oh, I was God. actually out there. It's very sad. And, you know, people, of course, everybody's seen the pictures of the spring breakers here in Florida, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting environment here in Florida. And uh, I bought some gym equipment, had it installed in my house uh, because people are going nuts not being able to work out. And I went to the gym store and they're completely sold out of barbells and benches and everything. Oh, wow. So yeah. I know that you're big into athletics. You do triathlons and all that. What are you doing now to exercise? Can you do it? And what kind of advice do you have? Because we're at the, the beginning of this and I can already tell people are already getting very tired of this and we're like two weeks into it. So what kind of advice do you give to neurosurgeons who want to remain physically active in the midst of all this? Yeah, uh, you know, I got lucky because I moved to a new house. I bought a new house in Taipei and uh, I have installed a indoor trainer uh, for cycling in my house. We're doing Zwift, if you know that what, what that is. And uh, I, mostly currently for me, I do my training is at home. And for me, actually, we don't need, we don't actually leave the house uh, on a daily basis because, you know, I can do my exercises at home and uh, we have Uber Eats to do, take care of all the, the, the eating jobs. And uh, 
uh, for staying fit, I, I do like my self weight training, push ups, and uh, we, luckily we are not in the face of totally shutdown or totally lockdown of the the whole city. So me and my wife, my uh, Gabby, we can go out for jogging uh, at the riverside, and that that is that's pretty good. So yeah, I was, my wife's so angry at me because I I bought this gym equipment that's taller than our indoor ceiling <laughs> and knocked out the ceiling yesterday. Yeah, she's not happy. Well, Herb, thank you so much for sharing the Taiwanese perspective on this coronavirus crisis with us. Um, you know, for the listeners, this is going to be one in a long series of episodes we're planning, uh, gathering impressions from different locations around the country and different major centers within the United States to hopefully gain these perspectives and, and learn from their experience as we go through this process ourselves and as this continues to evolve within our own nation. Um, so, Herb, thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing your experience with us today. Thank you for having me. My hope, my prayers are with you. Hope everyone can be safe and strong, and we will see through this together.